You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com. Hello there on this lovely Wednesday. Um, I have my guest here, uh, Little Owl. Little Owl, can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great. So nice to hear your voice. So, um, Thank you, Rebecca. <clears throat> as I think I mentioned to you before, what we often do, what I often do on this show, is ask my guests to uh, describe ayahuasca, to give an intro, just a basic intro, anything you feel comfortable doing about what ayahuasca is. Well, for me, um, ayahuasca, in a very short description, <laughs> Is uh, divine consciousness in a liquid form. Ooh, that's a nice one. That's great. That's the best description yet. <laughs> okay, so um, I met Little Owl not long ago, and we were um, discussing um, many things, and I'm curious about what brought you to the medicine. How did that all unfold for you? Uh, well... I, it was a very, very long journey. I would say that uh, my whole life, probably, I was looking for uh, something like ayahuasca, uh, the teaching from, from this divine consciousness. Uh, but uh, it took me my entire life, the, the first 40-something years of my <laughs> life, uh, to finally to realize that, um, you know, that this is what I was looking for. Um, I started out as an artist. Um, I've gone through many, many different lifetimes of um, different paths, from a visual artist to musician to um, all kinds of um, uh, journeys like I've done many, many things, and uh, eventually, because of my uh, personal health situation, um, I was introduced to traditional Chinese medicine, and through being a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, I was able to heal my um, severe health condition, and that opened the door to holistic health and um, my body spirit um, all that area which was uh, not familiar for me before before I became a healer but that one thing led to another um, after I practiced with the medicine the, the plant medicines for years um, I started to work with energy healing, but I found there was things are there are missing links, there are missing puzzles, um, because for my own very very deep um, sort of uh, a lot of misalignment and personal traumas and lots lots of things. 
I was not able to really found uh, a major shift with any kind of modalities, mm-hmm. healing modalities I work with. Even with traditional Chinese medicine, it worked on an energetic level. Um, it really harmonized, you know, the a lot of disalignment in the body, but it doesn't go to a very deep level of soul healing, right? Which I believe is the cause of all uh, the major um, sufferings in our lives. Yeah, and eventually. Um, ayahuasca showed up. I guess when the student is ready, the teacher was showed up. <laughs> All right. That was the case. And um, at the time, I was very ready to confront my own, you know, the biggest blockage uh, in my life and whatever I need to address to go to the next level of, of um realization and awakening I was ready so um, that was about I would say six years ago mm-hmm. and after my first ayahuasca experience my life completely changed can you describe uh, that experience wow <laughs> I'm sure many people will tell you this almost impossible to describe <laughs> in words, but I will try. <laughs> okay, it's a challenge, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that my first experience with ayahuasca, despite all the documentaries and articles and stories I've heard from other people, uh, could not do any justice of that experience. I was pretty much was thrown in... I, I, I became... Um, gazillions of universes and um, I became all that is I literally experienced all the emotions the sound the sensation of everything ever happened um, in the universe (laughs) Um, so it was all at once and it was overwhelming but extremely profound Right, and um, and I also simultaneously experienced um, the only closest term I could describe was uh, a true nirvana. Right, um, experience that was a pure bliss and stillness and zen and uh, absolute clarity and peace. Uh, there's no word can describe that. It was a state of being that I'd never experienced in my life. I, I read it on the books. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was intellectual understanding, but before that experience. And then I also um, went through a rebirth, and I remember uh, how I was born, and I, I kind of had a, a very clear deja vu why I came to this, uh, this human form, and I remember my first step as a baby, and it, it was uh, incredible. Beautiful. It was like experiencing how I was born and came to this planet and having a human experience. Uh, that was just the first ayahuasca 
<laughs> what an yeah, intro. Already. Yeah. Let's get right down to business. <laughs> I thought exactly. it was interesting that um, Little Owl is joining us um, from New York, and I thought it was interesting as you described this totally zen experience. We've got the, <laughs> the New York backdrop, right, of the siren. It's beautiful. <laughs> So um, with that experience, is that, um, did that, obviously all of it puts you on the path, but at that point, did you suspect that you were going to have a deeper relationship with, with ayahuasca? At, the, at that point, I knew that I definitely need to work with the medicine. Um, I, I need to continue to work with the medicine because that was just the first layer being peeled off. Right. And I could not wait to see um, what the medicine has for me to work on because I know uh, the first, I, literally, I, I, it took me 16 times working with the medicine to really get through the very core of my deepest, um, I would say, the, the deepest shadow work. Mm-hmm. And and to have a very clear understanding, um, the the framework of the, the my true life purpose and and why I'm here and why I chose my parents <laughs> and all all that was explained in in a basically. Uh, elaborate tapestry of uh, every single incident in my life was being it was like one they're all linked together in a in a gigantic tapestry it was shown to me by the medicine and it was explained to me that in every thing I've ever experienced every relationship I've ever had there's no coincidence. Mm-hmm. They're all there to teach me one thing is self-love. Right. Yeah. And, of course, you know, <laughs> uh, there there was so, so much stubborn, uh, deep-rooted <laughs> uh, thought pattern that was uh, preventing me from fully accepting and loving myself. And so it takes many, many sessions <laughs> Right. of being basically beaten up. I would say that the ayahuasca experience, like a Zen master, hit you on the head with the iron rod. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a constant wake-up call. Right. Um, but eventually, I I done my work. Um, I went through some of the most difficult journeys with the medicine, and I came out... Uh, first time in my life feeling like there's nothing to be healed. Wow, that's and, great. Yeah, I I was there's a sense of um, feeling that the, the feeling of I'm in a perfect place and it was and it always it is and it always was perfect. That's great. Um, <clears throat> can you describe some of the experiences that you had that um, <clears throat> just 
uh, allowed you to understand that there's so much more uh, to our reality. Like sometimes people have these experiences where uh, the medicine interacts with their reality and it, it allows us to see what we're experiencing here in a different way. Like afterwards, you'll learn something that has to do with one of the experiences you've had. And I'm wondering um, if you have a story to share around that. Um, Did you understand the question? Uh, okay. You, <laughs> I, I would like you to maybe explain it again. Okay, so do, sometimes... You, do some, you mean uh, integration? Well, and... Um, uh, I suppose it depends on what you what you mean by that. I mean, um, but what I'm what I'm getting at is these the experiences that you have where ayahuasca asks you to uh, gives you hints at something, and then what rolls out after the experience kind of confirms that. And mm-hmm. like I've I've had and and heard of many experiences where you see something or experience something with ayahuasca and then you go back to your life and things start happening and you go oh this is what she meant or you know something you didn't know before you walk away with changed in some way where you know there's an interaction between the medicine and your so-called regular life and and i love those stories i think they're important and i was wondering if there's any that you could share with us Oh, I understand. Okay, that's that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I will say that after ayahuasca, even the first ayahuasca experience, when I get back to my daily life, the synchronicity just, it happened like crazy. Right. Um, okay, for example, it's almost like the medicine is, is it continued to show me after the ceremony, and and I think she she wants me to understand that life is a ceremony itself. Um, and we before I think we're, our radar our radars are turned off. Right. And after after the the work with the medicine, you know, our radar to uh, much bigger understanding or, you know, we're more sensitive to receiving a lot of the um, messages or signs and synchronicities that are constantly showing us, you know, teaching us. But but before, you know, we had this veil right. <laughs> um, in front of us, and now the veil was lifted and... Everything became so clear. Uh, I can give you one uh, example. I remember one time I, the theme of the this one particular ayahuasca session is about death, um, dying and rebirth, and um, what it means about death and also uh, our you know, perspective, how we create our reality and how we, you know, through through our, uh, the way we observe. See, because like in a quantum physics, the observer literally creates a reality by the way they observe things. Absolutely. So it changed the molecules, right? It changed how the reality is shaped. So um, 
so with those two things, I, you know, I came back to my apartment, and then um, I had those books lying around. You know, I, I sometimes I simultaneously uh, reading four or five books, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, um, and one, and then I, I just randomly pick up a book and I just open it randomly on the one uh, on the just open it up without even thinking what page is on and then immediately the title was death <laughs> right so I, I I knew that was the lesson I needed to learn and further um, I, I need a further um, understanding about the subject so immediately show me and then um, the next the next morning, uh, I, I went to the countryside, and then the m- next morning, there was a deer dying, like, in broad daylight oh. on our lawn. It's a young deer. There's no trauma. There's no shot wound. There's, I don't know why it's dying on the broad daylight. It, usually, animal was find a place to hide and die. They don't just die, you know, in the middle of... Right. <laughs> um, yeah, in the open field. But it was right in our garden. And it was like, oh, this is the first time I saw a fresh... It's like an animal just die. Wow. And I sit there and I watch it for hours to experience um, the physical death. Um, and then... You know, when I come back to the city again, um, there's another theme about um, observing and shaping reality. So um, I opened another book and just randomly, and the the first thing I saw uh, was uh, a master, and the student is asking the master about... You know, if I think the story goes that the student asked the master, or the, I, I can't remember exactly, but the master was asking the student, um, if there is a tree, if, if there is a really ancient, hundreds years old tree, a gigantic tree in in the forest, an ancient forest, fall down. If there's nobody there, nobody is there present, will it make a sound? Right. That means nobody there to to receive audioly and would that make a sound? And then right after I read that sentence and there was a I have the T V on the background and there was a Geico commercial. And there was a, a two office lady were having a conversation. So this one office lady asked the other one, so if there's a tree falling down in the forest, <laughs> what, and if nobody's there, would that make a sound? Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many times these things have happened to me. <laughs> right, right. So things like that just happen like crazy. Yeah. And, um, and it always uh, corresponds to the exact teaching that I was trying to show me and um, to the point that I can't ignore right. there were just signs everywhere 
so when did you start to move into the position of of towards the position of medicine woman? I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, but I thought your story would unfold in such a way where we're going to reveal it anyway. (laughs) When did you get called in that way? I, like many medicine people would told you, um, you don't go, you don't, you know, for me, I didn't call for the medicine, the medicine called me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually resisting. <laughs> sure. Resisting to, to take on this role. Uh, I have my other plan. You know, I wanted to um, really focus on my art career. And when everything was in, sort of like things just show up to me, and the way it made it so clear that this is your path. Right. Uh, I cannot tell you how many um, synchronicities, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially the way people show up, you know, and um, everything kind of just showed up to to support me into this, this path. Right. I really didn't make any effort or try to uh, take on this role. So, but that actually make it even more convinced, um, more convincing that um, this is this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember Oprah used to say, "You know, she's my favorite mm-hmm. <laughs> role model." She used to say, "When you're aligned with your true life purpose." the universe will conspire to support you. I never really understood what that meant because I never felt that with every um, every career path in my life, I feel there was just, you know, pretty much fight, like swimming against the waves. Right. Uh, it was just never-ending struggling and trying to figure out how to move forward. But... As soon as I start to serve the medicine, start to take on this path, it really felt like I was being unconditional, unconditionally supported and everything is effortless and all I do is just be me and um, be compassionate and be connected and be being alignment, um, then everything else will be take, being taken care of. So it, it's like a, a beautiful flow. That's, that's wonderful. That, yeah, the universe is carrying me, the medicine is carrying me, and um, all, I do, all I need to do is trust, trust the medicine and um, allowing her to to take me to where I need to go. Right. So um, where was that? I know that you have offered medicines um, in many countries around the world. Um, and I was just wondering um, how that changed for you at some point. You decided to allow this to unfold. 
and um, the experience that you have as a medicine woman is a little different than going on your own personal journey uh, with with ayahuasca. And there's this wonderful sense of community and and people become each other's um, teachers in a more pronounced way, even though we always are. And I'm just wondering if you can share with us some stories around that. And any uh, preparation well, that, that, I'm sorry, and any preparation that ayahuasca offered you for that, you know, if there's anything you can remember about that leading up to that experience. Well, I think uh, every medicine person has learned it differently. You know, some people take on the more traditional way. Right. They go to Peru, they go to, you know, other countries in South America and find uh, their teachers, their uh, they follow a shaman, and then they are trained um, as an apprentice, maybe for a few years for um, for a period of time, and learn how to uh, guide the ceremony, how to prepare the medicine, you know, how to work with the uh, the community. Uh, but I I feel that my path is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Because um, I believe that no matter what tradition that you are, um, that that you feel connected with, uh, the most important most important thing for being a a good medicine person is that I think we have to work on our own. Um, do a lot of ego and shadow work. Right. And Allow the medicine really, to guide you. Yes. Yeah. Ex- exactly. So I, I do encourage, you know, anyone who feel the calling to do this work, don't rush into um, serving. Um, most important is do our own work. Um, the more we are able to you know, clear up our, um, you know, I think that the pure the channel we become, the more powerful the medicine can come through. And that requires a lot of, uh, per, a lot of work, you know, work. Yeah, I agree. To, yeah, all the healings that we need to get it done and and to be a, a, a much better, a better person every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my learning is actually from working with a shaman that I absolutely could not a- agree with. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it made me question everything about what it means to be a, a true medicine person. Um, the shaman I work with has a lot of fear, has a lot of insecurity. I mean, we're all human. I understand sure. that. And... Uh, uh, but it shows me that being a medicine person has nothing to do with being perfect. And sometimes when um, you start serving without really addressing, you know, your own egoic um, blockages, it becomes crutches. So I would say that you know, that, that actually became my biggest teacher. Mm. 
That's great. Yeah, because we're... Like we're I, I, mm-hmm. Sorry, we're creating our own traditions now. You and I discussed this before where, you know, for thousands of years, it was only the shaman that would drink ayahuasca. And now we've got communities of people in the Western world and all over the world that are doing this. And we are creating uh, new traditions. This in itself is a new tradition. And as long as we respect the medicine, um, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, I think it's it's pretty much a necessity. And anybody, even in the most traditional setting, can forget that, you know, the medicine is the teacher. <laughs> and as long as oh, we don't absolutely. forget that, I don't think we'll yeah. go wrong, you know? Right, right. Um, you know, traditionally, only the shaman drank ayahuasca, and the entire tribe uh, give power to that one person. Mm-hmm. Um, so the shaman connects with the spirit world and bring back the teaching, the healing for the community, and the, the shaman is their only priest, teacher, doctor, healer, psychologist. <laughs> right, <laughs> everything. Psychologist. <laughs> Yeah, and counselor. <laughs> and but now people are the participants are drinking ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means they're connecting to to understand the true power in them. So everyone is really um, connecting with their inner shaman, and no longer giving that that power away to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's not other people's responsibility anyway. That's right. We're the only person who is responsible for our own life, and we have to be, uh, we're the only master for our life. So I'm really happy this is happening when people are owning their power. And I'm happy for the shamans giving the power back to people. Oh, me too, for sure. I mean, the medicine, if there's anything that I've learned from the medicine, this is it. <laughs> Personal responsibility right. for your life and owning your power and, and using it well and in, in a way that is healthy. And that's over and over again. These lessons come through in various ways. And, and I think that, you know, to be a medicine person now is to help others do exactly that. You know, we want people to be empowered, not dependent. I totally agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so tell me about the dynamic that happened once you moved away from that particular training and you started to be guided more and more uh, from the medicine itself and then the kind of dynamic that took place when you started offering the medicine and the things that took place between one another. I, I love the the warmth and the magic and, and the healing that takes place in that, that, that community of people that come together to be healed and and I would love you to talk about your experiences of that, too. Well, um, I work with different communities around the world, and um, each community comes from different culture, and some of, some of the culture are more suppressed, um, and some of them um, are just more open, you know. So it's very interesting. <laughs> I have many, many crazy stories <laughs> to tell. But at the end, I have to say, all those experiences uh, working with, no, no matter um, what group of people, they're all teachers for me. 
because they're they're all mirrors. They're all there. Every experience is, is there uh, to teach me to become a better person, uh, to be more compassionate, to be less judgmental. Mm-hmm. And um, so I keep telling people there's nobody else outside of you. <laughs> the whole universe is inside of you. All those people are just mirrors and your teachers. So working in a group setting, especially, it's very helpful for people to see, to experience the medicine, not just from um, drinking the tea, but coming from other people. The triggers are, the, the triggers are everywhere <laughs> Right. when you're sitting in a group. So tell us the story about that, how that unfolded and... and one of those crazy stories, do share, please. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, um, in Asia, there people are not familiar uh, with this kind of work, and very often the first timers can go into a very extreme um, release of just years and years, and probably you know, thousands of years of uh, uh, energetic imprint. And it can be pretty uh, dramatic. Um, but at the end, when people start to understand how the medicine works, they knew everything happened for a reason. And in the ceremony, the most interesting thing, I think, is that the biggest thing most people are working on is fear. I think that's what uh, the entire lesson for the human species is that we're learning how to transition or transform from fear to love. Sure. And because we've been, the, our entire human species has been um, running, <laughs> um, basically running this world based on fear and until now I think more and more people are awakened to the idea that this no longer serves us right so how did that unfold in in a particular situation in a group um, yes and so when a lot of people you know, when they work with the medicine, and that's the first thing the medicine will show them. And sometimes the medicine will, will create situation in the, in the ceremony when and some piece, uh, the, the triggers will be coming from, from the other participants. So there will be situations that will trigger fear in people. For example, you know, some people may be jumping up and down and start doing crazy things and and uh, making the entire group nervous. And that's, that's usually, you know, when I see from... Because I've, I've been observing so many circles, there's very interesting, um, I would say that, repeating thing was when there are people in the group they have control issues 
they have a lot of fear issues, they have a lot of insecurity issues, that's when almost like the medicine will purposely design situations in that ceremony to create such, to trigger such emotions in people. And so there will be uh, participants acting crazy or being extremely annoying. <laughs> I've had these situations just in dev- everyday life and around different medicines where it was giving me the dialogue to support that the whole time. You know what this is about. You know why this is happening. It's right. Like, oh, yeah. So th- is that something you have to help them with? <laughs> yes. So I have to remind them before the ceremony, because I usually um, prepare them. I, the more preparation, the more understanding they have going into the ceremony, the better they're able to deal with situations like that. They will stop pointing finger instead, you know, they will look inwards and realize that it's really whatever their response to the situation in the ceremony is exactly how they respond in their lives. So right. I, keep, I will remind them, I will say that if, if you experience something in the ceremony that really annoy you, that frightens you, that triggers you, send, keep sending love and blessings to, the, to the, that person, but don't judge because you have no idea what that person is going through because we quickly go into judgment. It's true. And we start making up stories, right? Yeah. The, the person may be screaming and yelling and look like they're in hell, but then in the morning they're sharing was like they were in heaven, they were having a blissful time. So we very often quickly start to create all kinds of stories in our mind. And then we uh, create those stories to convince ourselves to have certain response. And that's usually how we react in life. Right. So I have to keep reminding everybody that um, whatever happened in the circle is, is the exact mirror that's going to trigger your response and you have to really think about um, why you're responding that way. And, and once they, they own that, they understand that they're the one making this, you know, creating the story, then they have to quickly change that story. Right. So I usually will remind them how, you know, how we shape our own reality from how we, you know, what we believe. So the work is really about take 100% responsibility of how you write your experience, how you give meaning to the experience, and also take 100% responsibility to rewrite a new story. And once people learn how to do that, they they will not be affected by what's going on in the in the circle as much. So, do you have a story around that where someone in particular had an insight after these kinds of provocations happened, where it's like, oh my God, this is what's been causing these kinds of reactions my entire life? I have a very interesting story um, because 
that was probably the most outrageous circle I've ever experienced. <laughs> okay, do tell. Um, so that was actually before before I start serving the medicine. That oh, okay. Was, um, a, yeah, it was guided by a, a, a shaman, and I was one of the facilitators. And we have a few a few volunteer facilitators for that event, and one guy, young guy, who very muscular guy, just start going. You know the the little the the cartoon Tasmania. <laughs> oh, the Tasmanian <laughs> devil, my favorite. Yeah. God, he was right. adorable. And somebody <laughs> turning to a Tasmanian <laughs> in his own special devil. way. <laughs> Basically, he starts spinning around, screaming on top of his lawn, and it turned into a devil, like a, a, the biggest monster you can ever imagine. So not the cute version. <laughs> oh, no, not a cute version. <laughs> it was horrifying. Okay. So he started to, he ran all over everybody, and he threw himself on, like, almost like every every person. He, he, he would run over them, he would spin around, and... He would smash things. He would, like, you know, uh, threw himself on the ground uh, nonstop and and really screaming and roaring on, on top of his tongue, uh, his lung, the whole time for, like, four or five hours. Wow. So that immediately triggered uh, the entire circle. Of course. But the funny thing was that uh, we had... Uh, one part of like it, it almost it was divided to two two sides of the reactions. One side of the circle they got really agitated, and I start to hear people saying, you know, uh, like I hate you, you, you destroy, you ruin my ceremony, blah blah blah. And then some people got really upset and just keep telling him to stop and say you're so selfish, and then they. And some people got really, really scared. And the other part of the circle, I heard people say, this is so perfect. This is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it, it's so funny to see that there, there's no building meaning in anything that happened. It was really about people's perspective. Right. And uh, But at the time, there were two helpers. Both of them are very petite women, so they uh, they were trying to stop this crazy, muscular young guy who, under the medicine, he became even you know two hundred times stronger. <laughs> wow! And they couldn't stop him, so they kept trying to sit him down, but he would keep jumping, keep jumping up back again. So. This last, I mean, when I, uh, from my point of view, in the beginning, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening, because I was one of the facilitators. Right. I was just like, I was so frustrated, and, and I just, I was like, I can't believe, I, I was thinking how, what people are going to think about it, and then eventually I gave up, because I couldn't even, I was already journeying, I couldn't even lift one finger. <laughs> I completely melted on the ground, so <laughs> I just had to surrender and say, you know, whatever happened is perfect. Exactly. And at the end, this whatever happened to this guy was 
the exact message I needed to learn. But that's like a whole other story. But I'll tell you what happened um, after that night. And at one point, after four or five hours of absolute insane, um, this chaotic <laughs> episode <laughs> of uh, just craziness, and all of a sudden, this guy just sit down. It was a split second from total chaotic craziness, and he just stopped. And he sit down on the floor in the lotus pose. Wow. And turning to like a Buddha. <laughs> I love it. You know, <laughs> and absolute quiet and stillness. No sound. He was just in a, in a Buddha pose. And we were just like, what's going on? <laughs> but anyway, we're happy that, you know, he finally stopped. But three months later, I, we, nobody knew what happened. We just assumed that the, the medicine wore off and he just kind of calmed down after, you know, after four or five hours, right. finished his journey and he stopped. But a few months later, I happened to talk to one of the helpers and she was telling me that during, when they were trying to help, trying to stop this guy uh, from running around, you know, uh, being crazy, just to maintain, kind of keep, keep everybody safe on this guy. And there were small people, like they were just petite. So it was a very exhausting experience. And one woman tried to, uh, I think she, she kept saying that, uh, let's put him facing down because he's going to jump up and attack us. And the other woman who I talked to, she said, no, 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 he needs to face up. He needs to receive the light and he's not going to attack us. We have to trust that. So basically one woman trying to see him facing up and then as soon as and then the other woman would try to flip him over and face down. So every time he was face down, he would jump up again and try to attack everybody. Wow, isn't that interesting? So that last, right, so it lasts uh, last for like hours, like four or five hours, until the woman who was trying to face him down, she finally quit. <laughs> she, she was so exhausted. She was like, I can't do this anymore. She was just too tired. Right. She didn't have any strength left. So she gave up, and then she just went sit down and on, on her mat, and she just kind of collapsed. So the other lady took the chance and immediately turned him over and had him face up and received the light. So the other lady is coming from a place of fear. Of course. And this lady was coming from a place of trust and love. As soon as he, he, she sit him up straight facing the light, this, 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 is, this was when the guy calmed down and become like a Buddha. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, I love that so story. The whole thing was a reflection of the struggle between the, 
the fear and love right. that were presented by those two women. So there was just that was like so fascinating. We I, nobody knew about it. <laughs> I only knew that like three months after. Oh wow, that's so beautiful. And we see this playing out in our lives every day and all all over the world, really, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, this is the fundamental <laughs> lesson that we need uh-huh. to learn. So beautifully right. done. So, um a couple of more questions I wanted to ask you. Um when you started serving the medicine, uh, and I'm not sure if you experienced this before but I know that when you're in that position that sometimes that you do have access to another person's experience in a unique way um, and and I was wondering when that started happening with you um, uh, what was it like was it surprising were you guided through that um, if you have any stories you can tell about you know having that um, that experience and, and being able to um, help people in a unique way. Do you understand um, what I mean? Appearing in people's um, experiences and also seeing into their experiences. Well, a lot of time it was very intuitive understanding. Like I kind of pick up what this person is going through and energetically and sometimes I had maybe a some kind of a psychic connection. But a lot of people have psychic connection sure. uh, when they're in, in the medicine because that opens up, uh, you, you get tapped into a unified field mm-hmm. when everything is connected anyway. Um, so I'm just trying to understand. Oh, sure. Okay. So that I, I, I was able to connect this person's journey well, during the ceremony? Well, sometimes I know that uh, shamans and people in that position who are offering the medicine have a unique capability. And it's true, of course, we are all connected in this way, and there's varying degrees of awareness and abilities in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that sometimes um, uh, shamans and people who offer the medicine can actually um, appear you know, in in somebody's journey and also maybe see into what that person is experiencing and help them um, on that level. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering if you had any experience doing that. It's 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 not what every shaman does. There's There was an experience I had where I felt people described it to me and I'm like, I've heard other people describe it, but with this particular shaman, I was very glad that 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 wasn't happening with me, and and I think I was deliberately shutting it out. <laughs> so there's all kinds of opinions about it, I'm sure, but I, I think it's a very unique um, experience, and I'm wondering if you've had any experience on that level, and and if there's a story around that you can share. Well, I I do have quite a few people telling me that um, when they were um, in the medicine journey, they saw uh, an ancient ancient old woman, <laughs> this very ancient um, being behind me. Wow. And wherever I go, they, that, that ancient woman will follow me. And sometimes they see a, a very big figure. I think every, everyone would see different size. But <laughs> wow, that's uh, interesting. But I, sometimes I feel, especially when I... Uh, seeing 
when I sing sing the Icaros or Native American chant, there are ancient energy, the beings channel through, and I will start to create sounds that even that was not even mine. Right. And I was able to like um, what you described to kind of tap into other people's experiences. Um, for me, it was kind of annoying. Yes. I can't tell you how that, it, it wasn't like, oh, I see the aura, I see the energy. But for me, it was just a very clear knowing yes. what's going on. The way um, I made medicine, everything was just annoying. Uh, there's no specific formula or uh, this it's not like yeah I, I, I understand you know? <laughs> yeah this is why we call them yeah, downloads because it just kind of happens and you're like oh yeah right. you know and it's superior I think in some ways to everything else because there's no misinterpretation it's there <laughs> and right, you know what right. it is yeah so, right. um, so I guess everyone would have different way of connecting uh, with the collective energy and my was just always a clear knowing and I just kind of know what's going on and sometimes it's not a logical it's not uh, it's not coming from the brain you know it's this it's coming from somewhere else Mm -hmm. that Sometimes you, you can't even describe it, and and sometimes I don't even understand it, right. but I just know what to do. Yes. That's all, that's all I can say. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's not even uh, understanding uh, intellectually what's going on, but it was, an, it was something guiding you to do certain things that you just follow that intuition, and, and that's exactly what that person needs. Or many people will tell me, oh, you sing that song. Every single song was exactly what I needed to hear. Oh, yeah. The entire ceremony. That I heard that over and over again. But I didn't uh, try to arrange the song certain way uh, by get, you know, following any kind of a guidance or um, I'm not trying to figure out to put it in a certain way. But I just do it with... I think the more I clear away my own ego, the the more the medicine flows through uh, in the most magical way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've had many lessons on moving away from that intellectualizing. There's been whole ceremonies around that. <laughs> And, and right, it's, right. It's, it's fine to have a good mind, but it, it gets in the way a lot, and it requires some explanations that simply aren't appropriate and are not going to fit into what we think should be. And it right. gets in the way so much of this, this direct, deep knowing and, and, and acting on that and healing um, levels of things that we don't even understand. But it's beautiful when it happens, and it feels so peaceful not to have to question. You know, that can be exhausting, right? <laughs> Um, well, how, how did you thank come? Thank you so much. How did you come by the name Little Owl? That's another curiosity of mine. Well, um, I had this name for a long time, even before I realized I was on this path. Wow. Okay. So I guess everything was, 
it all happened for a reason. Um, that was back in my very young, young age, uh, when I was uh, a kind of a, you know, hippie artist. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and so I worked with many, many, many artists at the time, and there was one particular artist. He was almost like the first person who who paint uh, oil, large oil paintings about the indigenous people in the Amazon. But he's a modern painter, but he wasn't, you know, um, a painter from Peru or South America. Um, but he's, he's like an American-based artist, but he was like the first person to really pay attention to the rainforest and the indigenous people. So one time he asked me to be his model, to be a Native American woman, wow. a warrior. Nice. So I had a portrait made as a Native American um, medicine woman. And so after that, we decided to give her a name. <laughs> so we call her Little Owl. <laughs> oh, wow. That was, oh, 25, at least 25 years ago. More than 25 years ago, probably almost 30 years ago. I love it, and that's stuck, and you've used that as your medicine name ever since. And that kind of, you know, I didn't carry that name for a long time, but when now I'm on the path and I'm actually running a Native American church, mm -hmm. and oh, that all right. makes sense to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's funny how sometimes these things come earlier and we don't know how to make sense of it, and later it all blends in in a really meaningful way. Um, but I have to tell you that um, just the fact that you use um, your medicine name inspired me to use mine and to acknowledge that it, it's a thing. Um, as I may have mentioned to you before, when I came back from Peru, that dialogue that I had with ayahuasca just continues for me every day. So um, I can relate to so many of those lessons you were talking about because, yeah, every day is one of those experiences for me where I'm challenged in certain ways. Just like, how are you going to react to this, you know, and uh, and lots of learning in that way. And I remember one day <laughs> I was just frustrated about having to make up all these names for different websites, these um, uh, just names for the website, you know, um, your ID. And I heard in my mind, um, why don't you use the name Sharma? <laughs> and I'm oh. like, what? And it's like, that's what we call you, Sharma. And so... That's beautiful. It was wonderful. And immediately I did all this research and I found it has a history with, a deep history with uh, Indian uh, spirituality and they were the bringers of the wisdom and made perfect sense with what Ayahuasca is asking me to do and teaching. And so anyway, but I've, I've just kind of, it's a, it was an interesting side note and story for the longest time and, and now you've inspired me to use it more often and I really appreciate that and I thank you for that. And we're uh, coming to the end of the show, so thank you so much, Little Owl, for joining us. And um, I'm, well, I look thank you, Shama. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to keeping in touch. Take care. Absolutely, great honor to be on the show. Blessings. Oh, thank you, and to you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.
You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com.